You're listening to the St John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Hi, my name is Erika, and today I'll bring you the Bible reading from Revelations 3, verses 1 to 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people inside us who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Have you ever been driving on a highway after a long day, maybe coming back from holidays, with some solid kilometres under the belt for the day? and your concentration starts to drift. And not just your concentration either, the car starts to drift over to the edge of the road. And all of a sudden, you hit those white bumpy strips on the edge of the road. Along with the loud noise, there's the vibrations that go through the whole car, jolting your attention and screaming at you, wake up. Uh, Those things are called rumble strips and they're a road safety device designed exactly for that purpose, to jolt drifting and sleeping drivers to make sure that they remain on the road and driving in a straight line. Well, the letter to the church in Sardis in Revelation 3, 1 to 6 is a rumble strip letter. It's a call to the church to wake up. Stop drifting and straying off course. Get alert and focused and pay attention to Jesus. Uh, Here's our map again, which shows Sardis along with the other six churches from Revelation. And the order of the letters continues along the trade route. So the postie could deliver them in order. Sardis sits at the junction of five roads, and so it was at a good location for trade and communications. And the city sat on the high point of a mountainous ridge. So it was a pretty safe and secure location. With its elevated position, it could keep watch for attackers and invaders. But throughout its history, this had led to complacency, where the city had thought that they were invulnerable to attack, Twice, the city had been captured through a sneak attack. Famously, in 546 BC, Cyrus of Persia sent an army which found a way to scale part of the sheer cliff under the cover of darkness. The city wasn't expecting it and was unprepared and undefended. 
the city was captured, and that story would have seared itself onto their memories. They'd thought that they were secure, but they were caught unawares and unprepared. Again, that is the same sort of message in this letter to the church at Sardis. Hopefully, the memory of their military history resonated with Jesus' challenge here. So we read in verse 1, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. We've seen in Revelation chapter 1 that the seven stars that Jesus is holding represent the angels or the leaders of the churches. Jesus holds these churches in his hands. Chapter 1 also made mention of seven spirits, but both in chapter 1 and here we might better translate it as the sevenfold spirit of God. Uh, You've probably got a footnote in your Bible to that effect. Seven is symbolic for perfection, and the spirit of God The Holy Spirit is pure, perfect, and complete. And Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit and the one who gives the Holy Spirit to his church. Now, at the very start of this series, I said that there was a structure to each of these letters. They address the church, then give a description of the risen Jesus, as we've just seen, and then they give a commendation to the church, starting with the words, I know. But listen to what Jesus says to Sardis here. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wow. (laughs) Is that a backhanded compliment or what? The only good thing going for the church is their reputation. People think that this is a lively and happening church. Uh, Maybe the church at Sardis even had this self-perception and they had it on their notice boards, life, church, Sardis. But Jesus says, no, you are actually dead. Change the signboards to dead church, Sardis. Wow. Wow. That would not have been easy to hear and to read. How has this happened? How have they had a reputation for one thing but become something else? The answer, I think, is complacency. We've seen in previous weeks the immense pressure that different churches were under, persecution from state authorities, social pressure from temple-going neighbours, economic pressure from trade guilds, false teaching within the church which distorted the truth of the gospel, but there's no mention of any of these things in Sardis. Maybe they were present to a lesser degree, but this church seems to be having a pretty cruisy life. And as Leon Morris puts it, the temptation for the sheltered is always to take things easy, and they readily become slack. They'd had it easy for so long. Uh, They'd thought they were impregnable and in no danger of attack. You know, they're cruising down a smooth highway, 
and they've fallen asleep at the wheel. It's easy for this to happen in churches. Uh, I worked at a church which had a great reputation for welcoming. In fact, one of their former vicars had written a book about it called The Welcoming Church. But my observation as a newcomer to the church, seeing it with fresh eyes, was that we were pretty bad at welcoming, actually. Like many things, if you take your foot off the accelerator because you just assume that it will happen, it stops happening. And all that's left is the reputation and the self-perception, which increasingly becomes further and further from reality. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are actually dead. So here's a good point for us to stop and do some self-assessment. What do we have a good reputation for at St. John's Diamond Creek? What's our self-perception of our church? And then ask ourselves, are our deeds matching up to our self-perception and reputation? Or are we complacent? taking this area for granted and slipping in reality? Do we have a reputation for evangelism and outreach? Are we actually praying regularly and consistently for our friends and families to turn to Jesus? How many people are being invited to outreach events and church services by us? How many people are we seeing becoming Christians? Do we have a reputation for welcoming? Well, are we each seeing it as our responsibility to be good hosts, uh, to keep our eyes open, to greet and befriend newcomers rather than expecting someone else who's rostered on to do it? Do we have a reputation for having good music, good kids ministry, good youth ministry? Well, are we making sure that we're thanking those who serve in these ministries each week? Making sure that we just don't assume that this will happen because it always happens. Are we willing to assist and serve to help make this happen too, to put our hand up as well? There's so many areas we could work through and maybe you have thought of some others. But the point is to guard against the danger of complacency. When things are going well, when life is sheltered and church is comfortable, we need to be aware that we don't just fall asleep at the wheel. Reputation and self-perception count for nothing if we're not backing it up in practice with concrete actions. So if a church has drifted and fallen asleep, what are they to do? What should we do? In verses uh, two and three, there's a series of five imperatives or commands to the sleeping church. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. The first command is to wake up, pay attention and realise what your situation is. Don't just ignore it or avoid it, 
Wake up and smell the coffee. Secondly, strengthen what remains and is about to die. So it seems that things are not totally hopeless for Sardis. Uh, Maybe they have a bit more than just an out-of-date reputation. Something remains. Yes, it's dying, but it's not dead. Take some action now to strengthen the areas of concern and get back on task. This language of unfinished deeds reminds me of a lady called Gwen that I used to go to church with. Uh, Gwen is one of the straightest shooters I've ever met, full of passion for Jesus and a no-nonsense woman like few others. Well, she told me that one day she put her family's dinner on the table and everyone turned up their noses at it. Mum, this is still raw. She'd done it deliberately. <laughs> yes, she said, it, it's half-baked, like the attitude in this family. Jobs are getting half done. Things are being left unfinished. Well, I think they got the message and hopefully we do too. The last three commands are remember what you've received and heard. That is, remember the good news about Jesus. Hold it fast and repent. As as we've seen throughout these letters, The answer to problems in the church is to get back to Jesus and the truths that we know about Jesus. Go back to what your core truths are. Jesus, who is fully God and has come to live amongst us and show us how to live. Jesus, whose death on the cross deals completely with our sin and failure. Jesus, who is risen from the dead and offers us life, hope, and purpose. Jesus, who is the reigning Lord and King and will come back to judge us all. Verse 3 reminds us particularly of this last truth. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Don't keep being complacent. Jesus himself used this language of the suddenness of his coming. We don't know when it will be, and so we need to live every day in awareness of his lordship and in an expectancy of his imminent return to put all things to rights. Are you feeling the vibration and the noise of the rumble strips? Have you, have we, drifted off to the side of the road through complacency? Are there things that we're doing that we need to stop doing? Sins in our lives that we're tolerating and even nurturing? Are there things that we need to get back to doing that we've backed off from? Spiritual disciplines that we've let slip? Uh, Commitment to regularly and consistently meeting with other Christians? Uh, the use of the gifts of the sevenfold spirit in service of others. When things are comfortable and easy, complacency can easily set in and we can rely on reputation and self-perception alone. We need to wake up and turn back to Jesus and make sure he is our head 
and that we are living for him. Now, the thing about rumble strips on a road is that they can, they can be placed on both sides of the lane. What we've been speaking about here has been a, a drift to one side, maybe off to the left side of the road. The emphasis has been on deeds left undone, on complacency, maybe driven by a reliance on God's grace, but which isn't flowing out <clears throat> into actions in thankfulness and service of God. So we need to correct the steering, if that's the case, and get back on the road. But there's also a danger of overcorrecting and then driving off the other side of the lane to mistakenly think that our deeds carried out for God are what makes us acceptable in his sight and the source of our relationship with him. No, be careful not to steer the car off that side of the road either. In verses four and five, we have this beautiful image of Jesus clothing his people in clean white clothes. It's an image that we see again through the book of Revelation. So in Revelation 7.14, we learn that these white robes have been washed clean in the blood of the lamb. That's a bizarre image. You normally have to work hard to get bloodstains out of clothing. But these robes are made clean by washing them in blood, in the blood of the lamb who was sacrificed for us, Jesus whose blood was shed for us on the cross. How do you get rid of the soiled stains of sin and failure in our lives? Not through working harder, serving more, being more dedicated and disciplined, but only through the cleansing power of Jesus, coming to him and receiving the forgiveness that he freely offers to us. I love this language from one of our prayers of confession in the Anglican prayer book. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. Forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. That language of cleansing that Jesus offers us is very powerful because it speaks to our shame and not just our guilt. Maybe you are aware of things in your life that make you feel dirty and ashamed. They feel like they're a stain on your soul and they make you unlovable and unacceptable to God. But no, the message of the gospel is that Jesus not only forgives you, he cleanses you, he washes away our shame and our blemishes by his powerful cleansing blood. He clothes us in white and he places us before himself as radiant and pure. And in the words of verse five, he will acknowledge us before his father and his angels. Right? Forget about reputation, what other people say about you. 
Forget about self-perception, what you think about yourself. What really matters is what Jesus thinks and says about us. Far from being ashamed and embarrassed by us and by our failure, he presents us public and pure. She is mine. He is mine. Look at them, beautiful, radiant and pure, washed in my blood. The straight path to travel in the Christian life is to hold firmly to the truth of the gospel, that we are 100% right with God through Jesus. He's done it all for us through his life, death and resurrection. In him, we have a new identity as radiant and pure in him. And then we live out that identity in active service of Jesus, acknowledging him as Lord through obedience to his call on our lives, loving him in gratitude because of everything he has done for us, not taking for granted his grace and so falling into complacency, but being empowered by his grace, wanting to live it out and shout it out by our words and example. Are you in danger of drifting off the side of the road one way or the other? Are you complacent and need to wake up? Or are you reliant on your deeds and on service rather than dependent on the grace of Jesus? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.